Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Good to be with you again this week. Uh, we have wrapped up the second regular session of the 58th legislature. Um, of course, we still have two special sessions to go uh, before they roll out, before they wrap up this year. And we'll talk more about those, I'm sure, over the summer uh, and fall as we get to that. Uh, joining me today, as always, is Miss Bailey, Mrs. Bailey Perkins Wright. Hello. Hello, Andy. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, we'll still have a guest with us today, Beth Furnish, who is a volunteer with Moms Demand Action. Uh, hello, Beth. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. And uh, Beth is joining us today because we are talking about guns. All right. This episode is about guns, about gun violence, and what we could do to prevent it. Um, uh, Scott is not with us today. He is out of town. Uh, so he gets to miss out on this conversation. And I know he's sad about it because he texted. And and I know that he is someone who has read up on this and drops little uh, factoids often in our episodes of stuff that I don't know how he knows all this data in his head, plus medical science. Good for him for having a lockbox of a brain. Uh, but Beth, your role with Moms Demand Action is to follow and and like monitor this Oklahoma State Legislature Yes, the bills that pertain to firearms, right? Yes, and our our legislature is very active in this area. They usually file upwards of fifty bills each session. So now some of those are shell bills or duplicates between each chamber, but um, it's 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 a lot. It's a very active area. Yeah, and, and certainly Oklahoma is already a state that has some very laxed or significant gun policy that makes guns very accessible. So it's interesting that we continue to file dozens and dozens of bills. Yeah. Made guns very easily accessible in that vein of the second amendment. Right. Yeah. Despite the, uh, about uh, the work that the gun lobby in Oklahoma has done over the past decade, there are still things that they want to advance. So, but yeah, they've, they have mostly gotten their wish list over the last decade. Well, and obviously I I assume listeners know that we are talking about the issue of guns and gun violence today because, well, because this issue is pressing and it, it has been pressing for years. It was hit home. I think for us in Oklahoma, anew uh, this week with uh, the terrible shooting at St. Francis um, Health System in Tulsa. Um, gosh, I mean, it is that coming on the heels of other nationally notable mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas, Buffalo, New York, right? Like, it's just a drumbeat of these. I heard this week that someone in Oklahoma is killed by firearms every 13 hours. Like on average, that's the rate of Oklahomans who die from die because of a gun. I mean, that's they're not dying from ninja swords, right? They're dying from guns, and uh, and certainly the news about you know mass shootings in schools and those things are traumatic and terrible in a different way because it's you know children and it just kind of hits a little bit different. Um, but we know that there's that's not the only people who die. Like, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. Yeah. Um, Beth, um, maybe let's in that vein, let's start um, with some background. I know a while back you did a presentation for some lawmakers kind of in the wake yes. of that Oxford shooting. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that and about that shooting and about that experience of uh, speaking yeah. with the legislature? Yes, in January. Well, I guess first I'll just start out by giving a, a brief introduction for people who aren't familiar with Moms Demand Action. We have chapters in every state, and we're one of the largest gun violence prevention organizations with 8 million supporters. And we're part of um, Every Town for Gun Safety, Students Demand Action. It's all the same um, parent organization. And um, I've personally been active with Moms Demand Action in Oklahoma for about four years. So we have constantly maintained a relationship with lawmakers. And then after that Oxford shooting, it was just 
particularly horrific because the shooter showed signs that he was in crisis. Um, he was even in the principal's office with his parents two hours before the shooting. I believe it's likely he had the firearm in his backpack in that meeting. And um, it was a huge missed opportunity to intervene. Um, I, after that incident happened, I even read a story by another student who's now, you know, past his teenage years and as an adult. And he said he had an experience where he was in crisis as a teenager in school and a teacher intervened and kind of got him out of crisis and on the right track. So he looks at the incidents of these school shootings and just sees how that could have been him if it wouldn't have been for the interventions that people do. And that that's our best line of defense um, for school shootings. And it, it offers- I appreciate it. that because I would argue beyond school shootings for many yeah. of the shootings that are happening across the country, including what happened in Tulsa, what could have happened yes. if there had been an intervention for this person who was right. experiencing pain from the back surgery, right? Right. Um, so I, I do appreciate that nuance of we have to focus on those, those health systems and ways that we can intervene sooner for people who are experiencing crisis. Right. And um, a lot of mass shooters and school shooters are suicidal. Um, so that anyway, they're, they're in crisis. And um, one thing that I didn't realize until I started doing advocacy work, I got into this after the Parkland shooting. And um, we hear so much in the news about the mass shootings and the school shootings. Again, as you mentioned, Andy, they're so traumatizing and they're terrorizing. But the bulk of gun violence deaths in this country, two thirds are from suicide and about the one third is from homicides. School shootings, unintentional shootings, uncategorized, they're hovering around 1% or less. Mm -hmm. So when you start thinking about gun violence, you have to address suicide. It is it is the most prevalent form of um, gun violence deaths, unfortunately. And is that when you separate out those percentages, like the two thirds and the one third, is that the percentage of like the number of shootings or of the deaths lost? The number of deaths. Okay. So, I mean, that is what I anticipated. And that yeah. I think underscores the immensity of this issue, right? That Yeah. Uh, of all of the all of the gun related deaths in a year, two thirds are people who took their own life. Yeah, uh, and then now, the ones that we actually hear about are only one percent of how many people are dying from guns. Yeah, the the thing, another reason that these school shootings and mass shootings again legitimately get a lot of press coverage is because um, just looking at gun deaths does not tell the story. You have to think about the gun violence survivors. These are yeah. people who have witnessed gun violence. They have been threatened with a gun. So there's, I, I just saw a statistic and I can't quite remember the number. I think it's since Columbine, 300,000 students have been, have have been in a school with a school shooting. That's just unconscionable. That's a huge, huge impact. Yeah, because even if you were a student that wasn't in that part of the building, even if you weren't even there that day, yep. your bubble of safety that we all associate with going to school, right? That we kind of assume that yep. it's a safe place, that bubble is burst. Yeah. It is a terrible thing. Yeah. Teachers you knew may have been killed or shot other students so it's it's a very very big impact when we often talk about aces right adverse childhood experiences um and oklahoma uh is i believe at the top of states where children have high ace scores right and the more school shootings and mass shootings that people are experiencing that's 
elevating those adverse experiences that affect them even into adulthood and for the rest of their lives. And so um, I hope even that we have as a society are thinking about the long-term impacts that mass violence, um, school shootings um, are having um, long-term on, on society. Yeah, and I, I made a note here because I want to mention it. Anytime we we talk about suicide, which is quite often because it makes up most of the gun violence deaths, I just, I feel like I have to mention if anyone listening is having a crisis or knows someone who's in crisis, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 800-273-TALK or 800-273-8255. Starting in mid-July, they're going to launch uh, 988, kind of like 911, but it will directly connect you with a suicide hotline, or they call it a lifeline, um, and that will launch nationwide um, this summer. There's also texting because um, our youth really like texting, so you can also text um, to 741-741. Those are the left-hand numbers on the dial pad. So you just go up that 741-741 and you can text and get um, connected with a me mental health professional that way. Thank you so much for sharing that, Beth. That's yeah. that's very important. And and I mean, this we're not talking about this issue in the abstract, right? Like this issue is personal for almost everybody, I would think. I mean, my yeah. earliest experience... Um, with gun violence was in eighth grade when a classmate uh shot himself right with a gun mm -hmm. um, he was suicidal not at school it was at home um but it definitely changed my relationship i grew up you know like my grandpa had guns in the country to shoot squirrels and armadillos and varmints right bobcats things that threatened his farm uh and I kind of assumed, you know, probably because I grew up reading like Tom Sawyer and books like that. And you kind of think that's the world. And then all of a sudden it changes, right? When someone you know and care about loses their life from a gun. And yeah. I remember my math teacher who was close to the student sitting in class the next day. And we just sat there with the empty chair with her sobbing. Um, and even then, this feels like a very progressive thing to have happen in, you know, 19, was that 1994? Um, but for her to say, you know, like, if you've heard rumors like it happened and it happened because of a gun, like he might still be mm -hmm. here. And I was like, what does the gun have to do with it? Yeah. That's, this been, you know, 25 yeah. later, I think back and I'm like, Oh, right. Like he, you know, that was 100% like a significant part of that experience. And that's certainly not my, my own, my, the limit of my experience. Um, I've had other, other things that were probably more traumatic and more personal, but um, this is not a new issue. No, and, so and not only is it not a new issue, but we're also dealing with more advanced weapons than yeah. we've heard about in yeah. past years. So, you know, Andy, you mentioned, you know, a rifle to shoot, you know, animals or hunt or whatever. And now people have easy access to military grade weapons. Yeah. Right? And so that does even change the the environment and the conversation of gun ownership. Yeah, there's there's something I want to make clear to your listeners about the connection between firearms and suicide. Actually, the most common method used for suicide is drug overdose, but it only results in death 3% of the time. Um, when a person chooses a firearm, it results in a death about 85% of the time. And again, so that statistic is pretty devastating. And coupled with the mental health professionals who work in suicide prevention know that most people who survive a suicide attempt do not end up dying by suicide, meaning they, they get out of crisis, they get help, and um, they're able to go on and, and live the rest of their life. So when you mix access to firearms when someone is in crisis, it is a particularly deadly combination. And Beth, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I mean, my family relates to um, that statistic very well. Um, 
just a couple of years ago, um, my nephew attempted suicide um, oh, and tried to through medication. And thankfully the dosage wasn't enough to make him ill or to you know, take him away from us. Um, but it did give us the ability to get him help and get him resources that he needs, right? And it's made my um, sister and my brother-in-law and family um, more cognizant and more vigilant on ensuring that he has the things that he needs to survive. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, he, he's one of the 97% of folks who um, was able to survive, thankfully, because he didn't have right. the type of, of weapon that could have been deadly. Yeah. And, and again, like that, that's so important that it just illustrates again, how people so often are able to get help. Those, those crises are usually temporary and they're, they're solvable. But if a person has access to a gun, it leaves no room for a second chance in a split second, their opportunity is passed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Beth, let's, talk a little bit about <clears throat> legislation here in Oklahoma. Um, and maybe let's just start with this session since you just ended. Uh, mm -hmm. I know early in this session, um, Senator Mary Boren filed a bill dealing with secure storage. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and kind of just the general lay of the land when it comes to how the Oklahoma legislature responds to firearms related legislation? Yeah, I was very pleased to see Senator Bourne file this bill. Again, this was right on the heels of the Oxford school shooting. And one thing, um, I listened to press conferences with the prosecutor there. Uh, Wisconsin does not have a secure storage law. So she had to get creative. The, the, um, it was so egregious the way that the parents behaved in that case that she got creative and charged them with involuntary manslaughter. Um, but secure storage laws are important for um, for preventing really horrible accidents. Either, you know, a child gets access to it and unintentionally shoots themselves, the parent, sibling. Um, and frankly, there's no penalty you can put in a law in that instance that's going to be worse than the aftermath that that family has to deal with. But the reason it's important to put it in law is to make gun owners take it seriously. So Senator Boren put forth a bill that would make um, gun owners, not just parents, but any gun owner, um, criminally and civilly liable if they gave access to children to their firearms. There's exceptions in there for hunting, um, but, but this is to protect people from Again, unintentional shootings, suicide, again, is a big one. And again, like in the case of the Oxford shooting, um, kids that are in crisis can get access. Most school shooters under 18 get access from their families, firearms in the home or in the home of a friend or relative. So if gun owners can be responsible, it, it again, closes off that access, gives people time to get past their crisis. So secure storage would be very important. Now, sadly, this bill did not even get a vote in committee. Um, it's, it's unconscionable to me why our legislators don't, this, this just seems like the easiest thing in the world to pass. I don't understand at all why this should be controversial. It, it makes no sense to me. You know, it makes me think when I was growing up, you know, my dad had a a handgun and a shotgun and they were both in his closet. And I say handgun. It was like an old school, like revolver. I, I've never seen it fired. I don't know if it works, but I knew he had that and he had a shotgun and they were in his closet kind of mm -hmm. hidden away. Right. But kids find things. Kids know. And the difference between the it, yeah, yep. being in the bottom of your sock drawer or somewhere and being locked up where you can't get to it is often the difference between an accidental death and not yep. right. I mean, not even an intentional thing, but kids will get into stuff and play with things that they shouldn't. We all yep. know, it. we all did it at some point. And it is such a 
common sense, like no nonsense, easy approach. Like just lock them up. Yeah. No, I have. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I also feel like there's been a change in culture over time in how we look at drugs and who's responsible even for drugs to where now we are holding people who are selling drugs to people who overdose liable, right? And so it's interesting that um, that same train of thought is not also applied in the context of gun ownership. Well, it's interesting you should bring that up because this is a little bit more on the policy wonk side, but there is, um, there's a bill, they call it PLACA, it's P-L-C-A-A, Protection of Lawful Commerce of Arms Act. It was passed in 2005 and it basically protects the firearms industry um, from people holding them accountable, um, that you can't you can't civilly sue a gun manufacturer if their guns are used in crimes. So because of this, well, I should say, if we would repeal that, then we could do something similar to what we did with tobacco companies um, who knew for decades that their products harmed people, but they hid that information and lied about it. Um, we, we could... Um, hold gun manufacturers civilly liable, like we've done with drug companies for the opioid epidemic. Um, now, there has been a recent case, a successful case from the Sandy Hook families that sued um, a gun manufacturer for their marketing practices, because they were marketing um, in a way that um, was not consistent with what, um, I don't know, they, they purported their guns would be used for. So, um, but again, that that was a creative workaround because of PLACA. So I'm not real optimistic PLACA is gonna get overturned anytime soon, but that would, that would make a huge difference being able to hold gun manufacturers liable. I mean, it applies to vehicles too. If you, if you loan your car to your friend and they uh they make a bad they drive drunk they do something then your insurance doesn't cover it their insurance doesn't cover it it is on you as the car owner because you gave them the car um that makes sense and certainly there's been you know civil class action lawsuits against auto manufacturers for all kinds of things um yeah it's disappointing i think that we don't see the same sort of responsibility from yeah, gun manufacturers, or even just from the context of what we were sharing about what Senator Boren's bill was trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. To have that level of accountability collectively mm -hmm. and to push people to take care of things, right? Yeah, I don't follow it closely, but um, San Jose, California is. They've, they're putting forward some law or rule ordinance, I'm not sure what it's called, to try to address the liability and, and hold gun owners accountable. Um, but I, I haven't read about that in a while, so I don't remember all the details of that one. And you know, maybe it's a, a good point to kind of pause and just tell listeners like the lay of the land of what gun laws are in Oklahoma right now. We have... Um, permitless carry, right? So anybody ages, I think 18 and up can buy a gun with no waiting and they can carry it almost anywhere. There are some restrictions on where they can and can't carry it. But so the age limit is 21 unless you have military experience and then oh, it drops right. to 18. That's right. Well, and then the example of, of where the flaws are in that type of policy is what happened in Tulsa. Yeah. The person who shot up the hospital and was intentionally targeting a specific doctor and anybody who got in the way of trying to get to that doctor was able to buy the gun before the shooting, right? I believe it was the day before. Um, so there wasn't any type of you know, checks or, or anything because of the way Oklahoma's law is set. Anybody can 
yes. with a gun and he didn't have to have a permit or, or anything. Yeah, for permitless carry, I like to call it um, self-licensing because the law says, now, if you have a felony conviction, then you can't carry a firearm and they've got these rules and it's still illegal for those people who are prohibited from carrying a firearm. But you no longer have to go and apply for a license. And um, there's like a four pronged background check. Um, nobody's going to tell you you can't have a firearm. It's up to you to make that determination. There's no training anymore. There's, you know, they would educate you about, you know, basic law of land of firearms in the state before they. Because it's not as simple as just picking one up and shooting it. Like there, there's a technique to be able to. If you're going to yeah. do it correctly, yeah, it the, is that simple. That's the downside, right? Is that yeah, <laughs> the proficiency part for the licensing, I think, was very rudimentary, but mm -hmm. like it's something or. If people think it's ridiculous, let's make it better, not get rid of it. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, I remember in college when they passed concealed carry, and I, I knew a bunch of guys that went and took the class to get their concealed license so they could, and it was, it was folks that worked out of their car, like, you know, they were salesmen or whatever, and they felt they needed to have a firearm in their vehicle um, to be a man, probably, but uh, which you don't. If you're listening and you're thinking that, you don't. You don't have to, but uh, since then, a lot has changed. Yeah, you don't even, you don't have to take a class. You don't even have to conceal it. I I was in a. Some people have heard this story. I was in a donut shop in Edmond, and this I'm not trying to make a joke about cops and donuts. I don't know if this guy was a cop. I was in a donut shop on a Sunday morning at like nine o'clock, and there was a guy with his daughter, and he's wearing like a t-shirt and gym shorts, and he's got his gun like clipped on his gym shorts, so it's just hanging off the side like kind of dangling there and it's like me and him and a four-year-old in this and i was like why are you carrying a gun in here like there's absolutely no yeah no good well, and not even just why are you carrying a gun in here why is it just dangling in that way yes. where you could drop it or right. it could be snatched from you yeah. so you know there's I, all kinds of scenarios where that's yeah especially if it's not concealed I live in Stillwater and in my local Walmart, just down the street, there was a guy looking at jewelry and his, he carried a firearm in and it unintentionally discharged at the jewelry counter. Thankfully, nobody got hit and they let him leave. Like you can actually be charged for having an unintentional discharge from your firearm, but they just, I guess, let him leave and told him to be more careful and, i mean that's what my comment meant about it's not just as easy as just having the gun yeah. because it yeah. is so easy if you don't you know um make sure that it's secured that you can yeah. just unintentionally disarm it or or or, or harm somebody in, in in the process right i know my household we are gun owners and um we take that responsibility very seriously. My husband has a permit. <laughs> we yep. make sure that it is stowed away to where it cannot be used by anybody except for my husband. And so um, that yep. level of responsibility has to become the culture to protect yep. people. And we definitely don't have military grade weapons everywhere either. Like, but like, if we're going to save lives, yeah. we have to also balance um, that like, that education and awareness and, and ensure that people really have that level of responsibility and accountability to ensure yeah. that, get, that people aren't, aren't harmed. Yeah, and I wanted to just take time. I know people have, there've been a lot of news stories and a lot of attention about what can we do. And I just wanted to run through it's, it's not a really short list because this is more than like a five minute interview. So I'm just going to run down some of the solutions that you'll hear people talk about. So, so people have an idea of what they are. Secure storage. We've talked about that. Um, doing, having penalties for gun owners who give access to unsecured firearms to children. Um, restricting access to military style weapons. 
this can be either people talk about banning them like we used to have um, in 1994, they passed that and it expired in 2004. They, there's also measures that would just increase the age limit to 21 for people to purchase those, uh, limiting the purchase of high capacity magazines. Um, ammunition feeding devices are capable of holding um, 10 or more rounds. That's considered high capacity. They can go up to 100 and uh, kind of the standard one is 30 rounds. But um, when when people have access to this, they can shoot off a large amount of bullets without pausing to reload. So it makes it more difficult to um, intervene and has a really costly human impact. Uh, we kind of touched on waiting periods because again, a lot of people who go out, like it looks like this um, Tulsa shooter purchased them that day or the day before. So again, when someone is in crisis, it, it's helpful to sometimes just have a waiting period, get them time to, uh, oftentimes they share information about their plans. Uh, anyway, so waiting periods can be very useful. We need background checks on all gun sales without loopholes. This is one of the most broadly supported measure nationwide, and it's been talked about for decades. So I'm hopeful at least that will pass. And what maybe some people don't realize is because of the way our gun laws are structured, the shooter in Charleston, um, they call it now the Charleston loophole because he um, filed for his license. Uh, they were doing the background check. The I think it's the FBI who handles those, but whatever government agency, they have three days to finish the background check. And if they don't, then it is assumed that you pass and you can have your firearm. So again, that's that's something we need to change. Um, and also that will close the loophole for online sales. So background checks on all gun sales, no loopholes, that's important. Another one we've talked about, I think a little bit already, the extreme risk laws. They're also known as red flag laws. This is when um, families or law enforcement can go before a judge and prevent evidence to temporarily prevent someone in crisis from accessing guns. So this is someone who has predominantly shown to, um, to be suicidal or a threat to other people. They're not perfect, but um, it could be more effective, some people say, than a ban on military weapons, for instance. Um, Oklahoma is unique because we preemptively passed an anti-red flag law, um, but just how we pass that, we can pass another law to allow it. So that's not necessarily a stumbling block. Um, we need to listen to our school safety experts. We have two government agencies in Oklahoma that are dedicated to helping our schools with safety and security. There's one that was created in the wake of Sandy Hook, and it's, a, it's part of the Oklahoma Office of Homeland Security. It's called the Oklahoma School Security Institute. And then there's another one within the Department of Education called the Oklahoma Office of School Safety and Security. And anyone listening here, ask your school if they have consulted with either or both of these agencies. They have a lot of no-cost or low-cost solutions. They will do and they will help to do um, threat assessments, and they have a whole plan laid out for measures that schools can take. Um, we've talked a little bit already about repealing permitless carry um, and also repealing PLACA to hold gun counters uh, civilly liable. So those are, those are just a smattering of, of solutions that are possible, actions that we can take, changes we can make, um, there's some people, they want one thing that we can do, and there's not one thing that will make an impact. You know, it's kind of like when we, when we tried to address, um, drunk driving, you, we didn't just change one thing. We lowered the blood alcohol content level. We put in breathalyzer, um, breathalyzers on people's cars if they were had been previously convicted. Sometimes you even take away someone's license so they can't drive. So there's there's many, many things, public awareness campaigns. We actually, 
also held bartenders liable if they continued to serve alcohol to someone. So there's, we have to approach it from multiple angles if we want to make an impact. And Beth, what I appreciate about everything that you said, that it wasn't a, we just need to take everybody's guns away. Yeah. Right. You know, because yeah. I feel like that is the fear, especially in states like ours, that there's such a focus on we have the Second Amendment right and that anything that we do, you know, to ensure that we have sensible gun ownership is a yeah. breach for that. And so what I love about all of these solutions is that it just ensures that, you know, people who are responsible and should you know, be able to have access to firearms can do that. And we're just ensuring that there's accountability measures and we're preventing it from going to people who may be in a time of crisis or, or other situations, which to me falls out of the scope of that second amendment argument. So I just love um, yeah. the solutions that were presented to the table because sometimes I feel like there's this extremist fear that you're just gonna take all my guns away. Yeah, and Moms Demand Action and other um, um, advocacy groups in the gun violence prevention field, they often get characterized as that extreme, you know, they just want to take all the guns away. You know, our members are gun owners, um, military, veterans, teachers, doctors, like we're half of homes in Oklahoma have firearms. Um, we're not we we support the second amendment you know we just want again we're we we feel responsible like and sensible gun ownership right yeah the majority of oklahomans even want sensible gun laws um we did a poll when permitless carry was uh, first promoted and remember governor fallon vetoed it first the first time around um but like 80 percent of oklahomans across various sectors, whether they were by party affiliation, gender, political ideology, age, like any way you sliced it, overwhelmingly, Oklahomans did not want permitless carry. And yet, or they believe that if you want to use a gun, you should know how to, you should be trained on. Yeah. Gun owners in Oklahoma (laughs) are not in favor of permitless carry. No, because it makes everybody less safe, right? Like, when anything like that happens, it makes everybody, including other gun owners, less safe. It is, you know, difficult to, to know, you know, I guess the old adage of the only, not the old adage, the spin from the NRA that the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, listen, if I see a guy with a gun, I don't know who you are. Right. And there've been plenty of instances where the, uh, the quote good guy was too late or was misidentified or was already shot or something right that's that's not a yeah. solution um yeah solution and i inventing that scenario in the first place yeah it's uh in the wake of these shootings some of our lawmakers are promoting the solution of just armed teachers more guns yeah yeah and we're going to make a safer. yeah and and that just you know, at its core, again, school shootings are very rare. So I don't understand the risk benefit analysis of introducing a pretty significant risk of having guns, again, in the classroom, on a teacher, in the cupboard, um, to, to increase, uh, to have a significantly raised daily increase to combat a very rare, and then that, that environment is so chaotic um, and you would not believe how many highly trained professionals leave guns in the bathroom. You know, I mean, if I if I leave my phone sitting everywhere, then yeah. <laughs> people and just be absent-minded and leave. Because I mean, there was a story about someone who left a gun in a gas station bathroom. Yeah, right yeah. to where a kid found it. Yeah, and a kid found it, right? So it those happens. things really do happen yep. all the time. So. It happens in our Oklahoma schools right now because some people may not realize Oklahoma school staff, including teachers, can already carry firearms 
with the approval of school board, but they also have to have either armed security guard training, which is 72 hours, or law enforcement training, which is 240 hours. There was a carryover bill that that didn't get um, voted on this year, didn't pass, and they wanted to reduce that training down to 16 hours. And it's promoted as necessary for rural schools. And I, I appreciate they have a unique security issues, but they can already have armed staff. So to reduce that training down to 16 hours is just ridiculous. Well, my favorite um, phrase that's been going around on social media is we don't even trust our teachers right now to decide what books to use in their classrooms, so let alone <laughs> having teachers armed in, in classrooms, right? And so, yeah, this yeah. idea that more guns and less training will then make our schools safer just feels so, so dangerous. We just need to recruit, you know, a, a 10 or 20 very responsible students and then arm them to, so they can rove the hallways, you know, like around as like a little troop of, we just little battalion chiefs. That's what we'll have. Just Andy, in themselves. Don't don't give them ideas. That's going to show up in a bill next session. You wait. I I uh, several years ago, I was when I was teaching at OU. I was stopped for gas. I was on Highway 77 going down there to to campus, and I guess I was coming home, but I stopped at 7-Eleven to get some gas, and I was walking into buy a candy bar or something and it's late it's like 9 30 at night's dark so i'm walking in from the end and there's another guy walking in from his car and we get about halfway from the pumps to the building and a guy hops out of his suv to he's parked right in front of the building and as he hops out a gun tumbles and clanks to the parking lot and everyone just freezes and he you know kind of furtively looks around picks it up, tosses it in the floorboard, closes the door and goes in. And me and the other customer from our gas pump, you know, make eye contact because in that split second, you think what is about to happen? Like this guy very quickly jumped out, gun flies loose, thankfully didn't go off. Right. But then it was like, well, you know, you're thinking, is this dude about to rob the 7-Eleven? Cause it's kind of on the edge of town. Like, what am I walking into? Do I need this Snickers bar? <laughs> and we both were oh, like, oh man you know and maybe yeah. you know, i mean the guy went in and you know bought whatever and left it was all fine but it also was just like well things just escalated to uh potential death status and i just wanted a candy bar right and that's the difference that a gun makes in a scenario when it doesn't need to be there even the nra themselves do not trust their members when they convene in public places to carry firearms in their conventions, right? And so it's just fascinating that um, there is this awareness, right? That people gathering in places, there shouldn't be guns galore everywhere because yep. in these situations that you're describing, Andy, like accidents happen all the time. People can be irresponsible. And then in those cases, who's the good guy? Because everybody's got guns all around here. <laughs> yep. That's a good, a good example, right? So if you go to um, if you go to a tattoo convention, there will be tattooing there. If you go to a, a you know comic con, there are comic books and comic book characters and things there. If you go to most conferences that deal with a topic, that thing is there. You go to the NRA conference, there's not guns, right? Or at least they're cracked, you know, like it's not obvious, yeah. like it would be at one of his other things. And so it, that does seem a little suspicious. Anyway, I yeah. think probably our listeners um, are aligned on our values with this issue, which is why we're talking about it. Um, and I do think maybe as we kind of wind down here, we should talk about what people like what regular folks like all of us can do. I mean, right as we were getting ready, I was um, looking through my Instagram stories and saw several friends that just said, what can we actually do? Like, don't tell me just to call my lawmakers. Don't, you know, not thoughts and prayers. Like, is there anything that we can actually do to make a difference? 
And Andy, to build on your question, Beth, I'd also like you to talk about, in addition to what people can do, about the importance of paying attention and being vigilant to the signs, especially social media is a double-edged sword where people can share information about anything and how they feel. And we're seeing a lot more people, especially those who are committing these tragedies, right, of, of these mass murders, school shootings, where people make a Facebook post and people are like, oh, they kind of brush it off or nobody does anything. And then later on, there's an incident that happens. So can you talk about Andy's question of what are things that people can do on the issue, but also the importance of when you see something, say something? Yeah, well, one thing I'll mention, um, I'm, I'm not an expert in suicide prevention, but one thing that I hear over and over from them is people, they don't want to talk about it if they feel like someone is in crisis. Um, but, but what all of the suicide prevention people say is ask the person, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about committing suicide? Um, ask them. That's, that's just hands down solid advice that I hear from every suicide prevention group. Um, and then beyond that, I would say, call one of the, or contact one of the suicide prevention lifelines um, and and just try to get help. Um, beyond that, I'm not comfortable giving specific information on that. Um, to get involved for local people, because we, we hear this all the time, what can we do? In Oklahoma, because we have um, closed primaries and a lot of these closed primaries serve as general elections because our candidates are unopposed. That was over half of the state legislature candidates in the 2020 election. Um, it's, I still encourage people to contact their lawmakers, but, but we need more voices because our lawmakers just hear, you know, from a few people and, and I hate to say it, but it's probably more impactful when partner organizations like your medical centers and hospitals talk to lawmakers, um, advocates in domestic violence organizations. Um, if we can get law enforcement, I believe law enforcement worked behind the scenes with Governor Fallon to veto permitless carry when it came up the first time because that doesn't help them um, we need education groups to, to speak up and, of course, our mental health organizations. So it's not just individual voter voices that make a difference, that can make a difference. And I definitely encourage people to participate in events. Um, you need to educate yourself about what solutions are out there and work. We, of course, would welcome anybody to join Moms Demand Action. Uh, we meet pretty regularly, um, and if anyone is interested, they can text the word ACT, A-C-T, to 64433, or just Google us, um, org, where you can sign up and get plugged in. We also have, I don't know when this podcast will drop, but we have a big community event tomorrow. It's called Wear Orange, and I'm from Stillwater, so I like to call it another reason to wear orange. Um, but it, it was started uh, by friends of 15-year-old Hadia Pendleton, who was shot and killed on a playground in Chicago just one week after marching in Obama's second inaugurational parade. Her friends chose to commemorate Hadia's life with the color orange, because that's what hunters wear in the woods to protect themselves and others. So we have an event tomorrow in Oklahoma City, we're doing it as a community service event, partnering with Selfless Hands Foundation. From nine to noon, we're gonna meet at the Thelma Parks Elementary School, where we're gonna clean the street and plant a new blessing box, which is a community pantry, um, feed community members in need. And um, that's how we're choosing to um, commemorate um, Hadia's life and also all the people that we lose from gun violence. I um, will echo, well, the wear orange, I think today that as we record this on 
Friday, June 3rd. I think today is National Gun Violence Awareness Day, and it's that's the thing, is to wear orange, right? I didn't know the backstory, though. That's really interesting. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I think it was Thursday, the uh, Oklahoma House Democratic Caucus um, put out a press release. I think they actually had a, a press conference as well where they were announcing like their proposal for a series of public yes. safety measures meant to address us. They call this the SAVE Act. Uh, yes. SAVE stands for Stand Against Violence and Extremism Act. And it includes many of the things that you mentioned, Beth, the uh, repealing, this is like a double negative, repealing anti-red flag laws. It yeah. would repeal permitless carry. It would repeal uh, allowing concealed carry in zoos and public parks. And then it would um, institute a new uh, statewide red flag law, a new waiting period law, and new legislation to raise the minimum purchase age to 21. Yes. And, and go ahead. Yeah, I, I think this is a great proposal. Um, it is It is solid action that our state can take. I would love it if everybody called the governor, called their lawmakers, um, we still have the ability with these questions. We can get this done. And if, if enough people call and put pressure, again, individuals can call. Talk to your organizations that you're in, whatever profession you're in. If it is impacted by gun violence, talk to your trade associations. Go to those higher level, community level, um, chambers of commerce, um, law enforcement, um, and we need to apply pressure because we can do it. It's just if we choose not to. Yeah. And they could do it this summer, right? Like yes. in theory, this is not, it's not impossible. It may feel unlikely, but it's not impossible. The, the legislature has already called their own special session. They could call another one or they could amend the call for the one they have, yep. or the governor could amend the call for the one that he put out. Yeah, These are all options, right? And uh, I think it is important, as you mentioned, we're in the middle of campaign season. People are running for office. If you uh, have any race in your area, there's candidate forums, there's debates, all that stuff. You can ask the question directly. The How question. do you feel about sensible gun ownership? Yeah. Or How do you what feel are you about doing? background yeah. checks? Or... Yeah. What are you doing or what will you do to protect our kids or to to limit you know access or whatever, however you want to phrase it? Um, that is a perfectly legitimate question that you should be asking along with several others about economic factors and education and healthcare yes. and all these things, right? We need, if we don't ask questions, we don't get answers. Um, I know right. like Scott and I often get frustrated in press conferences because we, you know, you're kind of at home, like hoping that someone yeah. who's at that press conference asks a certain question. They don't. You're like, why don't they ask this? And it's like, cause we're yeah. not there. That's your question. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be in the room. Right. So, yeah, I mean, elected um, leaders, reach out. yeah, elected leaders care about the perspectives of the people who decide whether or not they get elected. And yeah. so this is the key time to especially bring a group of friends together and have a conversation with candidates or they're going to be knocking your doors. Yeah. Making and sure that when you talk to them um, and they're telling you about where they stand on the issues, make sure you have a conversation with them about you know, this issue of gun violence and find out what they will do and let them know, I am going to support the candidate who stands for X, right? That's going yeah. to be And I know I, because I focus on following firearms legislation with Moms Demand Action, there's also other areas we have um, uh, support for gun violence survivors because that's a really unique community where they can learn to share their perspective and their stories. And I'm just going to give one quick example. One of our volunteers, Sarah Burdine, her son, Sierra, was killed leaving a sports bar. And when she went to the police station to get his belongings, they were handed to her in this paper bag. And it's not a diss on the police officers, but for her as a gun violence survivor, she just thought we can do better. And so she organized this effort for us to hand paint designs on these canvas bags and we've given them to law enforcement and we call she named them bags of belonging 
So now when there's a deceased person, they're going to get those possessions back in this bag that's been lovingly decorated by one of our volunteers. And that just, that just, um, exemplifies why we need to listen to our gun violence survivors. So that's one area. There's also a Be Smart for Kids that promotes safe storage or secure storage of firearms. And then we have um, an elections team. So we have, um, we will give surveys to people running for office and um, have them fill, we call it a gun sense candidate survey. So we will, um, we will give people that distinction for candidates who align with common sense gun solutions. And also they just launched a program again, nationwide called demand a seat to help um, advocates who want to run for office get elected. So there's a whole bunch of different areas within mom's demand action and even involving um, looking at candidates and helping with elections. My wife has already signed up for the uh, zoom meeting next Wednesday. She's, she told me I'm on, I'm on kid duty doing that. And I was like, great. I'm surprised you haven't already. So. Yeah. Yeah, And I probably, I should probably, if you, if you text that um, act to six, uh, I'm going to mess up the number six, four, four, three, three, then you'll find out about those. We've had a lot of people contacting us in the last couple of weeks. Um, So we're having, we just had one last night. We're having two more meetings next week, um, Wednesday and Friday just to give people an introduction to what Moms Demand Action is and get them plugged in because we need all these voices. We need to keep pressure on our lawmakers. That's right. As we say in every episode, decisions are made by those who show up. This is a great opportunity to do it. And as a reminder, calling lawmakers is not a lost cause. They typically don't hear from anybody because people think it's a lost cause and they don't call. If enough of us call, we can make a difference. And if enough of us vote, we can make a difference. And it, gun safety is, an, is not a partisan issue. Call Democrats, call Republicans, call independents, call everybody, because this has to be a collective community issue. Yeah. President, and, President Trump supported red flag laws. Yes. And I will say, you know, in Oklahoma, again, I've only been following firearms legislation here for a few years. And it's, it's generally the lawmakers rubber stamp, whatever the gun lobby puts in front of them. Um, this session was different. There were very few firearms bills of any substance that got through. And I think there were three on the list and they were all like, some of them were kind we were kind of neutral on and some of them got watered down so much that it, it barely did anything in terms for the gun lobby's perspective. Um, so there are signs that our lawmakers are are fed up with the gun lobby and they're starting to listen to people. You know, there was a mil- militia revitalization act that got heard in committee and actually got voted down after getting some really harsh questions from Republican lawmakers. Also, it wasn't just the Democrats fighting that one. So there are signs even in Oklahoma that people have had enough. Yeah. And um, I will put a link in the show notes to a story, uh, an article today on Oklahoma Watch from Keaton Ross over there about how Oklahoma lawmakers have loosened gun regulations in the past decade. Um, And I will share that not just so that people can read it and and be angry or, or saddened, but because often I think we see a greater appetite to like, undo something like to bring it back to a previous level uh and sometimes that's i suspect why the democrats were somewhat um smart in their their proposal is like listen we just made some bad mistakes let's undo those mistakes and bring it back to where we were a few years ago we may have a lot farther to go but every step in the right direction is is a good step yeah and i will say the the oklahoma gun lobby who writes most of our firearms bills their goal and they have stated this in public, is that everyone except prisoners should have guns. And that, like, I remember when I heard, I was in the room when he said this one time and I was like, prisoners, like just the people in custody. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So 
that's their goal and they have been steadily chipping away at it. They're very systematic and first they get concealed carry in places and then it's open carry, you know? So they're, they're very efficient at chipping away and our lawmakers up until recently have been very willing participants. Yeah. Beth Furnish with Moms Demand Action. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Bailey, thanks for being here as well. Of course, Andy. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for being here as always. Um, hopefully you'll take a link or take a look at the links in the show notes uh, or find a way to get involved. For those of you who, uh, like many of us, are feeling overwhelmed and helpless uh, at you know, senseless violence in our world um, that is surely preventable. Remember, you are not alone in fighting for this. Um, educate yourself, educate your friends, your family, you know, talk to your kids, have the hard conversation. Uh, and in the end, I hope that you will choose action, choose a way to, to intentionally make the world a better, safer place for everybody. And uh, I'll say it again. Decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week. <laughs>